0: Well, you know where we have to start today. Who saw that coming? (laughs) The governor's office sure didn't. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. Okay, I lied. We can't actually begin there yet. Why? rain there is a lot of rain in the state uh it is rome is just now in the clear as is dalton um the rest of you people y'all are kind of stuck uh now for those of you listening on delay we're, we're at 906 in the morning here uh but uh all the way up into the northeast georgia territories there the counties i should say not territories uh eh, those of you in middle georgia you're just getting it uh if you're out towards vidalia Swainsboro, sandersville you'll be getting it. It is a messy, nasty day. And here is the thing you need to know is that there are multiple waves coming. This is not the only band of storms that is coming. Uh, So you'll you'll see it blow through and think "Ah, we're done. And then you'll get hit again. Now. Okay. Okay. Let me play you the audio before we delve into this.
1: I told the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, that I disagree strongly with his decision to open certain facilities, which are in violation of the phase one guidelines for the incredible people of Georgia. They're incredible people. I love those people. They are, they're great. They've been strong, resolute, but at the same time, he must do what he thinks is right. I want him to do what he thinks is right. Uh, But I disagree with him on what he's doing, but I want to let the governors do. Now, if I see something totally egregious, totally out of line, I'll do. But I think spas and beauty salons and tattoo parlors and barbershops in uh, phase one, we're going to have phase two very soon. Is just too soon. I think it's too soon.
0: Now, interestingly enough, uh, the governor... The president's core supporters are the ones who want the state reopened ASAP. The governor's, the president's core supporters are the ones who think this was all an overreaction to begin with, that we never should have shut down and that we sabotaged the economy. Some of them going so far. In fact, I saw a sign at one of the protests yesterday that, that uh, people die every day. I don't think that's the prevailing sentiment, but th- that's certainly there. Uh, you've had some people say that they would take one for the team, essentially just to get the economy reopened. So the president's core supporters are the ones who want the country reopened, uh, concurrent to that. uh, They're trying to split the baby. Now this, this is the, this is the most fascinating aspect of the Trump presidency in my mind. And, and, you know, so let let me, let me set a few parameters here as as I go forward, not trying to offend anyone. Number one, number two, the Lieutenant governor is going to come join me at the bottom of the hour this morning. Number three, uh, John King, the insurance commissioner is going to join me at 1130. So be around for the third hour for that. Um, This is the most, this is the, the most fascinating aspect of the Trump presidency to me. And it is why so many people say it it is a cult of personality. And again, I'm not trying to be insulting. Just bear with me here. Let me explain this to you. There are more often than not in this administration, very much like with Obama and and progressives, but more so with this president, just given his speaking style, there are a whole lot of people who support this president who try as they can to never disagree and try to rationalize in some way their accord with what the president says. And we're seeing that in this phenomenon as well, that, that no one can ever say they disagree. And, you know, I, I got to say, this this puts me out of line with a lot of my friends, and I get in trouble with a number of people on this, because when George W. Bush was president, I was perfectly fine and felt totally comfortable disagreeing with that president. And, and you know, the president's team would call me at home and try to convince me that I was wrong or that I should be on the team, but I I never felt under assault by his supporters. And with this president, if you dare to disagree with him, if you're on the team, team and you dare to disagree, you can in some way be a heretic. It's just, it's a very fascinating dynamic. And and part of that, I think, is the insecurity of the position. This president won, he won fair and square, but he lost the popular vote. And the left has been attempting to deny him legitimacy ever since. And so there is this this aspect of circle the wagons, defend the man at all costs. And I get that, I do, but that's not my nature. If, If I disagree, I tend to speak up. I have spoken up on, on this Governor Kemp situation, a man I dearly, uh, respect, admire and consider a friend. I, I, I think it's too soon to reopen. Notice that in the president's criticisms of, of Governor Kemp, he's not saying it's too soon to reopen. It's just too soon to reopen these particular businesses. And therein we find, uh, the, the aspect that the president's core supporters are going with that his supporters want businesses reopened. They want them opened yesterday. They think that small business owners and sole proprietors are being hurt. The governor provides a plan for the sole proprietors to reopen their businesses. And the president's word, "Ah, not those businesses. The governor's right, but the president's right. It's a fascinating way to split the baby on this, that yes, the governor is right, but he picked the wrong businesses. Now, let's explain why the governor picked the businesses he picked. Because you do need to understand that aspect of this to understand why the governor made the decision he made. There are a lot of small businesses in Georgia now in desperate straits. Savings are being wiped out. The business owners, many of them sole proprietors, they didn't get stimulus checks because they made too much money. They don't qualify for unemployment given their circumstances. They either got denied payroll protection or they couldn't get payroll protection. And many of these businesses are barbershops, tattoo parlors, massage therapists, and services. You can't mail their services through the mail. You can't get a tattoo through the mail. You can't get a haircut via FedEx. They actually depend on their customers, many of whom are longtime clients. And they're on the verge of bankruptcy, they're on the verge of being put out of business permanently. At the same time, there's something else happening that hasn't gotten a lot of press coverage nationally. Hospitals in Georgia, across Georgia, are telling Governor Kemp it's safe to do business again. It's safe to get elective surgery. Now, when you hear elective surgery, I suspect what many of you hear is, is the boob job and plastic surgery surgery. Hey, this I'm electing to do this. It's not covered by insurance. I'm going to go have it done. That, that's not actually what elective surgery is. Elective surgery is the non-emergency surgery. You can pick the date on which to schedule the surgery. So you need a tumor removed... That's not malignant. It's it's not in immediate danger to your body, but it does need to be removed. We can pick the day. You need the kidney stone broken up, or you need surgery to deal with the kidney stone. But but it's it's not something that is seriously going to send your body into immediate crisis. We'll pick the day. Um, it, you you need your gallbladder taken out, but it's it's not completely failed. We can pick the day. That's elective surgery. It's not a it's not emergency surgery. You can pick the day. You can have it scheduled. You can go in. You can do it as an outpatient in many cases. And hospitals are saying, it's time. We need to reopen. My producer who tells me never to check my text messages is texting me while I'm talking. I just want that on the record. (laughs) I'm going to get the middle finger emoji any moment now. Um, Nonetheless... (laughs) I see he's one of those priority people who, and his messages just pop up on my screen. I guess I need to take him out of the VIP list. Nonetheless, nonetheless, I digress, but he and I are in the same situation. We both need elective surgery for the same thing. And it, it, it we haven't, I'm not scheduling mine anytime soon, but it's to be scheduled. you you've, you got a kidney stone. You, you got a you got a growth. You, you, you need the boob job. I, I, that, that, that's, that's not our problem. Um, but you, you've you got to get it scheduled. It's not an emergency surgery. Your bone is not broken. You're not hemorrhaging. You do not have metastatic cancer that needs to be uh, treated by removing a tumor immediately. Uh, you, you don't need an immediate lung biopsy, any of these things. You got a hernia. You, you got, a, you got a, a growth. You got a kidney stone. You get my point. You're not having an appendicitis attack. Hospitals depend on a lot of their revenue because of that. Hospitals depend on a lot of their revenue from elective surgery, and they need that money to come back. They're hurting. They're overwhelmed, but they're hurting. But here's the thing. They've got the hospital capacity in Georgia right now. Almost every hospital in Georgia, save for Phoebe Putney down in Albany, has hospital capacity to spare. Not only do they have hospital capacity to spare, they've got the capability to ensure that COVID-19 does not spread to the patients coming in for the elective surgery. That suggests that we're over the peak and the hospitals have the capacity to handle a surge, to handle a ramp up. The field hospitals set up in the state have never been used. And so when the governor is trying to get businesses to open, the ones that he targeted for reopening are the ones hardest hit. Now you're saying, what about the bowling alleys? Because I get this a lot from people. What about the bowling alleys? So the governor is opening a class of business. They are small business service-based industries. The barber, the tattoo parlor, the, the, the bowling alley guy, the massage therapist. Notice you massage therapists who are listening. I said massage therapist and not massage parlor. I'm doing good. But in each of these cases, they're not products that can be sent through the mail. But here's the thing. Many of them will not be able to reopen. And this is what's gotten lost in the conversation is that many of them won't be able to reopen. The most desperate ones may want to give it the college try. If you can wear a mask while you get your haircut, your barber wears a mask, you're wearing gloves, the barber's wiping down his shop. See, this is why the bowling alley can't actually reopen, although it's in the class of service, small business service industry based, where you 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 have a limited crowd size that can gather, but they can't wipe down the bowling balls constantly. They can't wipe down the touchscreens constantly. They can't do all of that in the way that the governor's requirements make. So in practicality, they can't. Technically, they're in the class that could open, but in practice, they can't actually open because they can't meet the requirements. Your barber may be able to, but here's the other thing, and th- this is this is the very specific part of it. This is about the barber who wants to try. And allowing him to do it without getting ticketed, fined, arrested by making him run afoul. The nail salon. The tattoo parlor. I mean, when you think about it, a lot of people think, what what the heck with this tattoo parlor thing? What? I, I don't have tattoos. My wife does. She uses the same guy for all of them in Atlanta. And it is very possible if she was to get one, not that she will. Uh, <laughs> um, she would wear a mask. He could wear a mask. She could turn her head away from him, and she knows him, and he knows himself. And he can take her temperature. He can take his temperature. He can make sure that no one's sick coming into his business. He knows where he's wiped down. He knows where he's sterilized. He's he's doing what need be done to take care of his clients in a way that if you're a big shop. You're not necessarily sure I Had a, a a person call yesterday talking about a, a big box store that she goes to and she overheard the manager lecturing the employees, but that they weren't doing what they needed to do to sanitize the place. And he finally realized they weren't doing it. They weren't wiping down the shopping carts. They, they weren't wiping down the handles. They weren't wiping down the counters. They weren't wiping down the touch pads. Meanwhile, you're a small business. The last thing you want is for someone to spread this virus in your business because people are going to find out about it and that is going to shut you down permanently. That's why the governor did what he did. Because actually these small sole proprietor businesses are the ones hardest hit economically and the most likely to be able to ensure ensure sanitation to reopen. That's his explanation. Now, feel free to disagree. I still think we should have waited a week or two. The president's position is not that we should have waited a week or two, but that it should have gone to bigger businesses first, not smaller businesses. I actually think the president's wrong on that. I think the governor's right. The small sole proprietor is better able to regulate the sanitation. So that's the explanation, and that is the lay of the land. Ultimately, it's very interesting to see the dynamic, though, that it is the president's core supporters who want Georgia reopened and they want it reopened yesterday. They're upset with the governor for waiting until Friday. And now here comes the president. And the president says, yes, slowly, but not these businesses. And those are the ones the president's supporters were rallying to the small businesses that are going to be hurt. Not the chain stores, not the big box stores, not the big restaurants. But those small businesses, and now that he said this, of course, many of them will change their position because they they can't they they don't allow themselves to have any distance between themselves and the president's position. So they'll say Brian Kemp was right, but he chose the wrong businesses. When on Monday and Tuesday they were cheering the governor on for picking the right businesses to reopen, people scratched their head about the bowling alley one, but they kind of understood that you know those bowling alleys practically under the standards aren't going to be able to reopen. Here's the bottom line, though: we have the hospital capacity in the state the data has been with the, the the governor there is one blip today though uh there's a website called rt.live rt.live and you can see that the rate of transmission.live. essentially rt stands for rate of transmission if it's below one the virus isn't spreading if it's above one the virus can spread the higher it goes the faster the virus spreads georgia has been below one given some of the late data that's come in georgia's gone back above one but there is a caveat there According to the Department of Health, the data that has come in is actually old data, old tests, not current tests, and so it suggests that uh, the, the rate of transmission is still in decline and RT is still below one based on their metrics. That's that's good, if they're right. Man, I I, I gotta I gotta play this for you, uh, or I gotta read this for you. By the way, coming up, bottom of the hour. Uh, is the lieutenant governor in the state, but I, I, I really, in commercial break, got this email from Sandra. I was shocked when I read your loyalty and viruses this morning. I have listened to President Trump most every day since the whole virus thing sta- st- stated, she said, I think she meant started. Maybe I missed it, but I have never heard him say one bad word about Governor Kemp. In fact, one of the journalists in air quotes, or in real quotes, asked him about Governor Kemp's intentions to open some businesses, and he complimented Governor Kemp and said he knew what he was doing or words to that effect. You did not offer any evidence in your column as to what exactly president said, which would lead you to believe he threw the governor under the bus. I'm much more disappointed in you than the president. Uh, how about they had a private phone call that was confirmed in the media by both the White House and the governor's side uh, where the president signed off on his plan until 24 hours of bad press. And then the president
1: last night said this. I told the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, that I disagree strongly with his decision to open certain facilities which are in violation of the phase one guidelines for the incredible people of Georgia. They're incredible people. I love those people. They are they're great. They've been strong, resolute, but at the same time. He must do what he thinks is right. I want him to do what he thinks is right. Uh, but I disagree with him on what he's doing. But I want to let the governors do. Now, if I see something totally egregious, totally out of line, I'll do. But I think spas and beauty salons and tattoo parlors and barbershops in uh, phase one, we're going to have phase two very soon. Is just too soon. I think it's too soon. Okay. So he
0: tells the governor to go forth and carry out his plan. By the way, this has been confirmed by the White House. Before the president's statement yesterday, the White House confirmed it. The governor's team confirmed it. They had spoken. They'd spoken with the vice president, explained what they were doing and why. The White House was okay with it and then there's all of that bad press i played for you yesterday all the clips of all the bad press and and now the president says he strongly disagrees he, uh, y'all if you can't interpret that as throwing the governor under the bus after 24 hours of bad press i i, I can't help you cuz that's what it is um it, it is the 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 fine nuance of of the president's supporters trying to trying to carve out a path between these two to avoid the implication there but i can you not at least acknowledge it looks bad when the president says he strongly disagrees with the governor after telling the governor that he was okay with it i i i got nothing for, i listen i i have i have gotten to the point in my life where i realized life is too short for me to try to defend stuff for people who only hear what they want to want to hear and and the, the 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 cult of personality partisans there. I okay, whatever. Now, what are we gonna do? Is the governor gonna change his mind? Is he gonna I don't think he's gonna change his mind here. One thing about the governor of Georgia is he doesn't like to be bullied. And he doesn't like to look like he's being bullied. So I don't think you're going to see him change his mind. Now, maybe, and maybe he can come out and say, look, in the last 24 hours, the data has shifted. And that is a, a justification for him to change that the, it, potentially it is because we are now based on the, the overall metric above uh, our, the rate of transmission is above one again. And it, you got to be below one to start um, opening businesses. And it shifted, although they have an explanation for it. I don't know. Coming up, the lieutenant governor is going to join me. Maybe he'll have some answers. We will figure it out. Welcome back it is Eric Erickson here the Eric Erickson show the phone number 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425 joining me by phone the lieutenant governor of our great state Jeff Duncan good morning to you
2: Good morning, Eric. You have the high risk of either hearing lightning in the background or one of my kids screaming. So I'll oh, it is the exact
0: same thing here. The exact same thing. I, I can hear a kid running around probably doing something dangerous behind the soundproof doors, and it is lightning here. <laughs> we live the yes. same life.
2: <laughs> yes, this is true. Uh,
0: okay, so yeah, I, I got to ask you out of the gate here. What, what are your thoughts on, on this reopening plan, particularly in light of what the president said?
2: Well, you know, really supportive of of both the president and and the governor have both shown great leadership through this entire process. I mean, you know, certainly nobody runs for office thinking pandemic is going to be, you know, on the top of your of your to do list each and every day for an extended period of time. Uh, Look, this is about very small incremental steps. And I think details do matter, Um, you know, in a day and age where it seems like five second soundbites dominate decision making in too many places. Uh, you know, this is about taking very small incremental steps with just a very small handful of businesses that essentially the government had walked up to with just a you know an hour's notice sort of and said you got to just shut your business and walk away from it. This the, the details of this are that there's so many steps and 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 rules and regs around having to be safely operating uh, with your consumers. And so, look, I think these are these are great first steps to take, but they're just small. This is step one of a thousand probably that we're gonna to have to take it. And, uh, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, we continue to keep the health and well-being of Georgians at the at the, at the foremost
1: Well, it,
0: it, I'm glad you say that because I, I, I get the sense, I, I take for example, the bowling alleys. I understand why it's on the list and that they're, they're small businesses, often sole proprietors, service-based, but that in practicality, they probably won't be able to open because they won't be able to meet the standards even though they're on the list. And there just seems to be, I don't know whether it's, it's just willful or what, but a lot of misreporting about what these initial steps to open businesses are. And I thought the governor and, and you on, on Monday were very clear uh, in how to move forward, and yet uh, you can't control how the media reports these things.
2: Yeah, you, you can't govern 11 million people based on what you read on social media or in the bottom of a blog. Uh, I have started picking up the phone two weeks ago and cold calling CEOs and small business owners across the state. And I mean big, big businesses and small little you know, shops and, and, and wanting to understand the nuances of their business and their strategy to go forward and their industry. And, and some of the things I discovered were, were eye-opening to me, and that it really it hammered home the fact that no two businesses are going to recover the same through this. No two industries are going to be able to have the same practices and standards in place because this ultimately comes down to – we can talk about government oversight and all of that, and in and, and certain lanes that's very important – But this is all about consumer confidence right i mean you think about the the economic side of this there's really two crises that we're facing one is the standard recessionary pressures right the textbook says when a recession starts to move in you've got issues with lack of liquidity access to capital unemployment but the other thing that's new to this whole slowdown is this throttle on the consumer no every business has got you know a restricted flow to their consumer and so Everyone's going to have to gain consumer confidence, right? Whether it be a Waffle House or whether it be a you know bowling alley or any other business, they're going to have to make sure they have the standards in place because the consumer is expecting it.
3: Yeah, it's
0: and you know, for example, I just found yesterday Amazon has their disposable, good, uh, sanitized masks back in stock. I I'm, I'm baffled by the way, when I go to the grocery store, seeing all the people with these surgical masks on where I've been looking for them for weeks, and can't find them. And, and so yeah, the supplies and stuff, I guess, aren't there necessarily for all of these businesses to get back and going, but at the same time there is the other issue here. And that is, of course, the, the the state tax revenue system. You guys still have an, an open-ended budget for next year. We're going to have clear revenue shortfalls. And, I, I mean, what are you looking at as far as the state financial projections go with all this?
2: Yeah, so, you know, we're, we're in active daily meetings talking about strategy. Uh, you know, the posture of the General Assembly is that we suspended uh, our session uh, about five weeks ago. And... Uh, You know the only piece of business that the constitution says we got to close out before july 1st is the budget uh, for 2021 and uh, certainly that process is going to look a lot different than we thought it was going to look two months ago Uh, you're obviously going to going to be dealing with declining revenues uh, from sales collection and then you've also got to do pressure points in the budget you know things that you never thought you'd be spending money on and then you also have federal involvement and so we're actively working together with the house the senate and the governor's office to understand that process. And, and certainly we're gonna to have to get back in and uh, and make some tough decisions. And certainly it's, it's gonna look a lot different than we thought it would, but uh, it is definitely one that we're paying attention to.
0: Now, every time you and I have talked, uh, education seems to come up and I'm, I'm gonna force it into this conversation right now because I know it's an issue you care about. And I continue to hear, particularly in rural parts of the state, uh, Kids are are suffering more with an education lag because of access to technology and, and not being able to meet with teachers. And it seems like if this goes on, particularly if, if the White House is right, we may see a resurgence in the fall that this could become a real problem where kids in rural areas fall behind more academically than in urban areas.
2: Well, you know, I think you and I've <clears throat> talked about this before, but you know, we live in Forsyth County. All three of my kids are in public schools, and our online learning tool is is just incredible right now. I mean. I've got a high schooler who's gonna graduate with basically taking every class online. I've got a middle schooler who's gonna gonna go, you know, graduate from eighth grade and a third grader, and all three are accelerate. And and one is because of intentional investment into online uh you know tools and resources. Not every part of the state has has made that as a as a predominant feature of their of their plan. But yeah, I think looking forward, we're learning a lot of lessons about this, right? Not just education. Uh, We're looking at uh, telehealth. I mean, all the metrics that you look at around telehealth are just astronomical at the amount of adoption around normal primary care type stuff. Uh, Telecommuting, companies are realizing the importance of and the value to to, and and the cost-cutting notions around telecommuting. Teleeducation is one of those. uh, Certainly, you know, I I feel terrible for, you know, a child that, that has unfortunately had to hit the pause button. Not the redirect button, but the pause button on their education, because you think about that child in some sort of tough, tough position, right? Whether it be rural or metro, um, you know, that that education is their greatest lifeline to to potentially getting them to to their to accomplish their dreams.
0: It is. And, man, I I just I, I feel bad for the folks in the situation. I mean, where, where we are in Bibb County, the I think the public school system has decided to turn off the academic year May 1st. Meanwhile, my kids are going through till the middle of the month with their teachers every day, but then they can't. It's, it's a private school situation. They got Zoom. They've got access to technology. Uh, and it just, it seems like it's going to increase the gaps there. Um, and, and there's a business gap as well. And I, I know that you... Have been spending a lot of time talking to CEOs and businesses around. We talked a little bit small businesses, um, but some of the bigger corporations in the state. I, I had on um, the CEO of Waffle House the other day, who seems very supportive of the plan and getting it back to getting the state back to business as best we can. Uh, what are you hearing from some of the bigger corporations in the state as to their views on moving forward?
2: Well, I'm staring at this uh, executive summary that I pulled together for the governor and sent to him. Uh, with my conversations from some of these just incredibly large global organizations. Uh, You know, uh, and and Joe Rogers, you you, you mentioned him, CEO of Waffle House. I mean, he had one of the most impactful conversations with me uh, last week when he said, Jeff, just give me the list of rules and regs. I don't care how tough they are. Just give them to me. And I promise you, we'll be great at executing on them because our livelihoods depend on it. And Joe wasn't talking about his livelihood. He was talking about the tens of thousands of folks that, that work for him. And you know the single mom is worried about putting food on the table, or or the the couple that's worried about the mortgage, or you know you you name this scenario. That's what private sector, and and, and I believe one of the greatest fruits from this is going to be innovation, right? I'm I'm an optimist by nature, um, and 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 for me, I think there is going to be some positives that come out of this, and innovation from the private sector is going to be huge, uh, and they're going to have to dig deep to to get maintain customers. You know, uh, level of, of uh, expectations, and uh, you know Joe and, and a number of the other CEOs. But to hear to hear them dissect this is is fascinating because you know one CEO talked about access to childcare, right? Runs a huge global organization and said you know one of the issues they're going to face here in this country is when it is time to go back to work that maybe if the kids aren't going back to school yet or there's some sort of you know miss you know over, not not an overlap. Then you know what do you do? Well, that's a challenge that we got to figure out, or we at least
0: got to communicate. You know, it's funny you should say that. I, I, that's been the number one concern I've heard from people is that uh, they're ready to go back to work, and their companies are starting to look and see, and um, they they don't think their daycare is going to be open, so they're not going to be able to go back to work unless they take their kid to work, which they don't want to do.
2: Yeah, there, there's so many unintended – I hate to even use the word unintended because no, none of this was intended, but right. you know, an, ancillary issues that, that arise out of this. I mean just think about foster care. Think about if you're, you're a kid who's 20 years old today and tomorrow you're 21, and, and the law says when you turn 21, uh, the state is no longer your parent and you're on your own, uh, and you got the clothes on your back and whatever you can carry in the bag out the door. I mean these are, these are complete unintended consequences. Think about our health care system in general right now. Uh, one of the one of the most important things, I think, that the governor announced on Monday was returning what I call liquidity to the health care system. We're now going to allow and, and encourage hospitals and, and providers that have surplus capacity to start once again performing elective procedures. Right. Things like, you know, mammograms and MRIs and and knee surgeries and things of that nature that we need to make sure. And, and think about the twofold, threefold. One is people need it for their health. Two is it's a massive part of our local communities' economies, and three, it gains the trust of people. If my if one of my friends is a doctor and he tells me he's going back to work, I'm just going to believe his medical opinion that they feel like there's a there's a high level of of ability to to control and continue to flatten and deflect the curve, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly we're going to see that uh, continue to play out.
0: Well, look, I, I know you you know I have had plenty of conversations, and, and I know you like to talk policy and where we're headed as a state, and yet this, man, I, this is the first news cycle that we just can't shake. Week after week, we're still talking about it, and I appreciate you coming by to talk about it, all the unforeseen events that, that come along with an unforeseen pandemic.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's funny. I, I told the kids the other night, I said, kids, I... I, I reviewed all my stump speeches from running for lieutenant governor, and I, I don't remember mentioning pandemic. But uh <laughs> look this is the this is the time time we're in. Leadership matters. Um, you know, understanding the data, understanding you know the the trajectories is is extremely important. And proud of proud of the work we're doing.
0: Well, I I appreciate all the work you're doing. I really do. And and I will leave it there with you. Thank you very much for stopping by. I'll let you go back to the thunderstorm. Yes, sir. Have a great day. You too. Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, all of us here. Uh, unless you're in Rome, you're clear right now. I'm a little jealous. It is storming here in middle Georgia. We will be back. You know, th- there really are so many just, un- uh, it- this is unforeseen. The whole situation is unforeseen. We can, we should and can acknowledge uh, that. Um, nobody saw pandemic coming. And then there's the ancillary fallout as well that we're, we're, we're now seeing things we knew might be problems and realizing that some of them are problems and some of them are not problems. Uh, and concurrent with that, you've also got people pushing their agenda. So for example, so exam, uh, for an example, uh, you've got a CNN, where is this? Um, uh, yes. Uh, I, I, I saw Charlie flag this on social media. Yeah. Let me play this audio. I haven't even heard this audio. I don't even know what it says, but I know it's on CNN, so there's no profanity. Let me cue this up and play it. We can listen to it together. I will will use my, my brilliant mind to offer conservative commentary based on values and principles on a TV news clip I have not yet actually heard. What about the effects
4: that are harder to see? What is this pause in the Industrial Revolution doing to the chemistry of our sky? Locals in northern India say they can see the Himalayas for the first time in decades. And before and after satellite imagery shows how nitrogen dioxide pollution over North America's big cities is down by as much as 30%. But the blanket of heat-trapping gases around our planet is still thicker than ever. And there seems to be this perception that maybe the virus has helped humanity buy some time when it comes to global warming, what's, what's wrong with that assumption?
5: Um, we'd have to keep doing this even more and do it for the next 30 years to really begin to bend the curve on the greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. It's kind of like having a really huge bathtub uh, in the sky filled with pollution and we have the faucet pouring, pouring, pouring more in. And all we've done is kind of turn down the faucet a little bit, but it's mm-hmm. still filling up.
4: Thanks to the current oil crash, when the lockdown is lifted, we'll see the lowest gas prices in generations. And with Donald Trump's environmental protection agency gutting dozens of regulations, experts say a spike in pollution seems inevitable. Both the EPA and Earth Day were born when the air and water got too foul for everyday Americans to ignore. 50 years later, science is warning that the storms, floods, and fires of the climate crisis Are growing too frequent and too severe to ignore saving what's left will take everyday folk everywhere deciding that their planet deserves more than one minor holiday like a dead president deciding that to save life as we know it every day should be earth day virologists for years tried to warn us that an invisible enemy would come out of the jungles if we just kept cutting all of them down and they were right. So if any good can come of this, Allison, maybe it's it's an understanding that the climatologists who are warning about the invisible enemy up in our sky and in our seas, maybe we should take them seriously too.
0: Wait a second, wait a second.
4: Every day should be Earth Day. Virologists for years tried to warn us that an invisible enemy would come out of the jungles if we just kept cutting all of them down.
0: What? Hang on. What evidence is there that deforestation caused the coronavirus? I thought CNN was in favor of science. What? There's no evidence of this. Is this a way to deflect from it being called the Wuhan virus? What? 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 It didn't come from the wet market. It didn't come from the Wuhan lab. It came from deforestation. Oh, my. This is a cult. But wait. Hang on a second. There's there's one more clip. There's one more. I am shocked, shocked that my producer missed this part. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Let, let, let's let go. Listen.
4: of ...the climate crisis are growing too frequent and too severe to ignore. Saving what's left will take everyday folk everywhere, deciding that their planet deserves more than one minor holiday like a dead president.
0: One minor holiday like a dead president? What the heck is this?
4: Deciding that to save life as we know it, every day should be Earth Day.
0: What what what? What? What 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 what? I I'm I'm baffled. I'm baffled. What what is what is a dead president have to a minor holiday like a dead president? What what Uh, is there a, is there a, uh, let's not read more into that, but what a curious line. And then the deforestation, the deforestation line, the virus did not come from deforestation. There, there's no evidence of that, but here's the other thing. So here's CNN's Bill Weir, who is their, their global warming guy. He's their environmentalist, in-house environmentalist reporter. And essentially what he's saying is, you know, this is really bad, but it's only going to get worse. There really is no hope in his reporting. And is that how environmentalists really view this? I mean, essentially, he has on the expert who says, well, we're still polluting. We're just not polluting as much, and we've got to turn it off. What do we have to do? We have all of us are – and this gives you an idea of of why we're never going to do these things. How many of you are stuck in your – how many of you have not been out of your house in a while? And you're not going to get out of your house anytime soon, are you? And yet you're staying in your home, you're not driving your car, and we're still polluting, and we've got to still do more? What more do we do? Go back turn turn everything off, turn the air conditioning off, turn the electricity off? We've turned off the cars. We're not driving. We can't do mass transit anymore. Nobody's going to be doing mass transit. You know, car sales are on the rise now. Car sales are on the rise because nobody wants to be stuck on a bus with, with coffee McCofster who's not covering his mouth while he coughs out the coronavirus. Nobody wants to be on the on the um on the subway with the tide pod eaters who are licking the poles. Nobody wants to do that. So what are you going to do? I mean, this is this is so yes, funny oddly enough, everybody's staying home, not driving their vehicles, not going out Not doing these things, oddly enough, yes, the wild is coming back in. The wild is coming back in. The people are home, so the deer are roaming the streets. There were vultures over New York City last week, which I actually found that to be a hysterical story, that vultures were seen circling the city. What? Really? God's got a sense of humor there. But... The, the, the level of desperation there, and then the twist at the end, that deforestation caused the virus, and there is zero evidence for that. This goes back to what I was saying the other day. When you go into a crisis with a bunch of presuppositions, and you come out, and you still have the same presuppositions, nothing has changed, Uh, That says it's about, that's all you, and it's a problem with you. And here's Bill Weir, who goes into this, everything's a calamity, everything's a crisis, and he comes out, everything's a calamity, everything's a crisis. Oh, and deforestation caused the virus, even though there's no proof of it. Uh, Why should we take him seriously on anything? Why should we take the environment? Oh, and Greta Thunberg has reared her head to lecture us as well. Good grief. It's great to have a sponsor of the program that I don't even have to read a script for anything. You know, they send scripts, but I don't have to have one with quip because quip is my toothbrush. It's my wife's toothbrush It's my daughter's toothbrush. It's now my son's toothbrush. We are a 100% quip household in our family. And I will tell you why, because with some, of those vibrating, fancy doodad toothbrushes. They're super expensive. You have to take a charger with you. They're hard to keep up with. Uh, The the brush head size is so big and poorly designed, it doesn't fit in the back of your mouth so you can't get the back of your mouth and the teeth clean. With the Quip, it is well designed. You can tell that it's designed by dentists and designers working collaboratively. It's a great toothbrush. If you don't know what the Quip is, it's a battery-powered toothbrush where every three months they send you a new brush head for just 5 bucks. So brush head stays stays clean and in shape. You get a new battery. It's a AAA battery that it works with. And here's the cool thing. It vibrates great to clean your teeth. And every 30 seconds, it pulses so you know to change position in your mouth. And after two minutes, after you've got the dentist-recommended two-minute brushing, it turns itself off, so you don't have to worry about it. There's no fancy charger to carry around or keep up with. You just your toothbrush. And it comes with a great uh, little travel pouch you can put it in. Uh, it's it's just it's a great design toothbrush. I've used mine for so long. Every time I go to my orthodontist now, I, I have braces. And every time I go to my dentist, he wants to know if I'm using teeth whitener. And I'm not. I'm just using my Quip. Twice a day for two minutes, just like Dennis recommend. It is fantastic. It is such a great design. Listen, this sponsor, Live Read, is taking longer than it should because I actually do really like my Quip toothbrush. It is the best toothbrush I've ever had, and I hope you'll agree. You can go to getquip.com slash ericsson right now and get your first brush head refill pack for free with your Quip. That's right. Your first brush head refill pack is free. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson, it's G E T. G-E-T, QUIP.com slash Erickson. It is the Good Habits Company and it is a great toothbrush. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. At the bottom of the hour, John King, the insurance commissioner, is going to join me. I said in the first hour it was going to be the third hour. It's the second hour. I misread my own calendar. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty of Georgia. If you've got. Uh, If you need to get into the Payroll Protection Program, folks, seriously, go to First Liberty of Georgia. Their website, firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. They can get you in. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be from Georgia, but they're a small lending institution here in Georgia. They're building a loan, and they are taking care of people. I've been referring a lot of people to them. They wanted to step up and sponsor the program. They're friends of mine. You may know the Frost. If you're active in Georgia politics, Um, Brant Frost the, the fifth is... The vice chairman of the state Republican party, good Christian family, active in politics. I I, I love them dearly. They're, they're just good, good friends of mine. And I appreciate their sponsorship of the show. And also they are providing a great service as the payroll protection program is getting refunded. Uh, I shouldn't say refunded. It, it is getting funded additionally, and you'll be able to apply, get your application and go to first Liberty regarding that. I got to tell you, there's data out of Denmark that what the the Danish government decided to do, instead of doing a little piecemeal programs like our government is doing, is they just stepped up and said, we're going to cover 75% of the cost of your payroll businesses. And they're going to pay the employees 75%. And what our government has done is the these piecemeal programs. We're going to bail out this industry. Now we're going to bail out this industry. Uh-oh, the lobbyists have come for this industry. Let's bail them out too. Now let's fund the, the payroll protection program, and we're going to give banks a cut of the money if they do it, as opposed to the government just stepping up and helping everybody. And – we're seeing a lot of uh, waste, fraud, abuse, greed, graft, corruption in our process that the Danes aren't seeing because the Danish government just just basically stepped up and said, hey, uh, we're just going to do this. We're going to cover for two and a half months. We're going to cover the payroll of all your employees for all the companies that are Danish companies. Big or small, they're not going to pick winners or losers. They're just going to do it. And ultimately, they will spend in, in, in per capita terms what we're going to spend doing this piecemeal approach, and they're spending it more efficiently. And what they did is they did retroactive uh, based on pay. So you can't suddenly give your, your employees big pay raises and have the Danish government cover it. They, they looked backwards several months and did it that way. We should have done something like that, but we didn't. Uh, and there there's a fundamental flaw there. And that's going to cause us I think, to more slowly rebound out of this than otherwise. Uh, and and that's part of the problem. We, we don't really have any strong leadership in this country at that level to be able to, to steamroll through over this stuff. And now you've got the Democrats and Republicans in Washington fighting over state bailouts. The Democrats want state bailouts. And Mitch McConnell says, nope, not going to do it. Doesn't want to do it. Uh, he wants the state's. To if, if they're bankrupt, file bankruptcy. And you need to understand why he's doing this. He's right, actually. Because a lot of states took a lot of gambles on a lot of pension plans in their states. And they assumed that the government would bail them out if something happened. Something has happened called COVID-19. And now they want a government bailout. And And McConnell's point is that they shouldn't get a bailout because they were too risky to begin with. They They were too risky. And because they were so risky, they made a lot of bad bets. And now it's come back to bite them. And I, I personally think he's right. Now, uh, for those of you just joining us, I will play the audio again. If you haven't, it's been all over the news this morning. I don't know how you missed it. But if you missed it,
1: let me play the clip again. I told the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, that I disagree strongly with his decision to open certain facilities, which are in violation of the phase one guidelines for the incredible people of Georgia. They're incredible people. I love those people. They are, they're great. They've been strong, resolute, but at the same time, he must do what he thinks is right. I want him to do what he thinks is right. Uh, But I disagree with him on what he's doing but i want to let the governors do now if i see something totally egregious totally out of line i'll do but i think spas and beauty salons and tattoo parlors and barber shops in uh, phase one we're gonna have phase two very soon Is just too soon i think it's too soon you can say that's
0: not the president throwing the governor under the bus you can say that but considering they had a private call and the president was good with the plan and only said that after public pressure mounted and major media criticism came it it sounds to me like he threw him under the bus now i know there are a lot of people trying to say no no trying to keep harmony trying to rationalize but uh, I look. I, I'm. I'm so over trying to rationalize and reconcile stuff. I'm just calling it like I see it. Feel free to disagree with me. Um, it, that that's fine. You're not going to hurt my opinion. But when when you have a private call with the president, and he says uh, he's good with it, and then publicly says I I'd strongly disagree and told him so. Yeah, that that's that's not good. Now there are a lot of you out there who have concerns on this, and we actually are. We, we got open phone lines here. I would actually be curious to hear your take on this. I'd be curious to hear your opinions, and you are more than welcome to call in 877-97 Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Now, call in if you want, it's okay. I wanna I wanna move to something else, though, a different government official. Have you heard the interview between Anderson Cooper and the mayor of Las Vegas? Mayor Goodman in Las Vegas. This woman is a piece of work. I want to play for you some of this interview. I just want to put up our viewers. This is a, a restaurant. Anderson,
6: you are tough.
0: <laughs> no, I'm not talking We're sorry, back I just, to
6: China. This isn't China, yeah, this, this is, is a, Las Vegas, Nevada.
7: Wow, okay, that's really ignorant. This is a restaurant and the that's yellow circle, to say that's an ignorant that, ignorant statement. That's, that's a restaurant <laughs> and yes, it's in China, but there are human beings too. That yellow is a person who's an, who is asymptomatic and infected. And all those other red circles are other diners who that one diner passed the virus to. All those other people became infected in a restaurant that had air conditioning, and they believe it was the air conditioning which passed, helped the virus and, spread and to all those other people. And you remember
6: the Legionnaires' disease in 1976 in Philadelphia came all through the air conditioning. You don't remember, because you're younger. I Typhoid do remember. Mary, Typhoid I- Mary, who I think passed away, well, anyway, during the late 30s, rode the buses, was a, uh, a cook, and she was asymptomatic, and she spreaded a a, a, a a fear of getting typhoid, and she never showed a sign of it, and she lived most of her life quarantined. The reality was, I think, 58 people passed away from typhoid, and okay. so we're aware of this. we learn from history. Right. We've had Ebola. We've had the West Nile. But, We've right. had polio. We've had these... Horrific, None of those were as painful. infectious
7: in Las Vegas. I mean, you didn't have people with Ebola on a casino floor. You know what? If you well, did, don't know it, that. Well, yeah, you, you do because if you had it,
6: My mine died from West <laughs> Nile because the swimming pool on the next property was filled with mosquitoes, and the people who had abandoned right. the house left the pool full. So we I, live I, with this. This is just part I, of I, life. I just as mayor, the aren't challenges. You? Uh,
0: Listen, I, I, I I know I like, I I would consider Anderson Cooper a friend. I I have been on TV with him. Um, I I have left him baffled before with some of my statements. I have flustered him. I have never, I never encountered an Anderson Cooper interview like this before. (laughs) No. This woman now. Now this is this is Oscar Goodman was the very famous mayor of Las Vegas for for eons. He's still alive, but but very old now. So his wife took over for him. You should know that the mayor of Las Vegas is really more of a ceremonial figurehead than anything at this point. The, the way the county government is structured, uh, a, a big big business booster. Now now the part of the clip that's not in there of what I played for because this interview went on for a good ten minutes. I, I can't play that for you. Um, i should but i can not i would get in trouble um uh, you, you can't play a clip that long um uh, but um <laughs> she, Anders, she says she she wants a plan to reopen all the casinos immediately I, I i'm with her i want that plan i'm ready to go i don't even gamble i just i i just i want to go so anderson cooper asks her what her plan is to keep people safe that's not my responsibility. <laughs> nope, nope. She wants them all open as, as, as the elected mayor of Las Vegas, though. She's not concerned. She just wants the gamblers in the casinos. Now, here's, here's the thing. I don't mean to make light of this, but a, a, as Anderson rightly points out, this virus, you know, polio mostly affected kids. It affected adults, but mostly affected kids, it was not nearly as infectious as this. Uh, this. This is way more infectious than the West Nile. West Nile was a type of flu, by the way. It was an influenza virus, and people have some level of natural immunity in influenza because we've had influenza for, for over 100 years. Influenza, by the way, was very, very deadly when it first hit the Spanish flu wave. Uh, what was, if I understand it right, don't hold me to this, but I believe that the, the Spanish flu was really the introduction of influenza into uh, humanity at that scale. And it it mutated several times. It it was very deadly at first, but it it has recurred and people built up natural immunity to it, which is one reason some people have said maybe we should build herd immunity to COVID-19. Maybe. Uh, The the Swedish are trying, and, and it depends on which media outlets you read as to whether or not you think they're succeeding. Uh, They're hoping to get to herd immunity, but it's been a very deadly process for Sweden along the way. Uh, Sweden has fewer people than Florida and has seen more people die than in Florida. And it's mostly an urban area thing. And you know, by the way, that's the thing with this virus. COVID-19 is more likely to impact urban areas than rural and and ex-urban areas. The suburbs and the urban areas are the hardest hit because it spreads more easily in those crowded areas. Uh, there, there's a per capita, yes, uh, South Georgian rural parts of the state technically are hit harder, but they're actually not because uh, many of those cases are not as severe. One of the things, that, and they don't know this, they don't know for sure. So, so I I need to preface it with this. They don't really know for sure, but there is some rampant speculation among scientists that the difference between people who get it really bad and people who don't get it very bad is the duration of exposure. They know, for example, with influenza – That when you come into contact with something, someone who has influenza and you get it from them, if you've only had brief contact with them, you're not going to get a bad case of influenza. But if you come into contact with someone and you have prolonged exposure or deep exposure, so say it's the difference between passing someone in the grocery store who happens to breathe water vapor that you inhale and it has the virus versus kissing that person. You kiss that person, you're going to get a worse case of the virus. And they believe there there is some uh, there anecdotal evidence, but enough anecdote now that they're beginning to consider it data, that it, that's the very same way that this happens, too, that the coronavirus, the, the depth of your symptoms depends on the, the, the depth of your exposure. Very interesting to think about. And so that makes the person, like, for example, I know someone, I won't give you the name of the grocery store, I I don't want to disparage the grocery store, but uh, I I know someone, I've mentioned this, that there was a, uh, I have someone who is a listener to this program, who I've, I just, we, we don't know each other in person. We know each other over really the internet. Uh, We've exchanged messages mostly on Instagram over, over time. And he got the virus. He got COVID-19 and he had not left his house except to go to the grocery store. Went to the grocery store, came home, and about four days later, started feeling bad. And that's the only place he had been. And he's a veteran, and and the VA really took care of him. Uh, he, he's just effusive in praise with how the VA handled the situation. But he is he's on the mend already. Um, but was brutally sick for about a week uh, and still exhausted, but on the mend. And I I I know more than one person who's gotten this virus in similar circumstances that uh, in passing contact. They got a mild case and I know a couple of people, one of whom actually was in ICU. And I know a couple of people now who have died of the virus. Uh, one, a longtime family friend of ours, I haven't seen, seen him in years, he's a friend of my parents, uh, got the virus and died. And then I, I know a couple other people who died as well uh, from it. Uh, I know a couple of people who were in ICU with it. And then I know a, a number of people who got it and were just home. And at first thought they had the flu, but then decided it must be this. And sure enough, uh, not all of them got tested for it, but their doctors decided they had it. But several of them did get tested for it, and they had it. Uh, And and it all really depends on uh, the the depth of exposure, it seems. It seems. Again, don't hold me to that, but there's more and more speculation on that from scientists. And, you know, there are these weird symptoms cropping up, too. Like 40% of people, their blood overly clots. And so now they're thinking they need to start giving people preemptively blood thinner, because they're they're seeing, particularly in the Atlanta area, the strain of the virus, the mutation of the virus that that is spreading in the Atlanta area, people are seeing blood clots from it. It's just a, it is a weird virus. There's still so much we don't understand, which all gets back to why they wanted people to shelter in place. They didn't want hospitals to be overwhelmed. They didn't, they needed to stop the community spread. They didn't need hospitals to be overwhelmed. And there's still so much about the virus we don't know. Is it right to reopen the state, though? Coming up at the bottom of the hour, I want to talk to John King. He is the insurance commissioner. He's been going around the country, setting up field hospitals, uh, helping be in charge of the supply chain and the like. Uh, Great guy. Looking forward to talking to him. Hope you'll be with me. Coming up, though, when we come back, what do we have? Oh, yes, YouTube censorship. We should discuss that. I have too many windows open on my screen during commercial break. I just got an email from Coliseum Health Systems. Which is typically where I go to the hospital, man. It, you know, so I, I'm, I guess I was. I don't know that I still am in, in a high risk uh, category because I had clots in my lungs several years ago, and they they did some damage to my lungs. I uh, still have a couple, and Coliseum is typically where I go. <clears throat> we have in in Macon. Honest to goodness, I kid you not. Uh, a couple of years ago, was having problems and went to the ER. Uh, not at Coliseum or any of the Coliseum hospitals. Uh, those of you who know, you know, went, went to the ER, and I sat there for three hours. Uh, pain in my chest, struggling to breathe, uh, and my blood oxygen level was at 92%. So they, they put me in a, in a chair, said someone would see me three hours later, wound up going to uh, Coliseum, had more clots in my lungs. Uh, thankfully, they were able to take care of me. I've, I've never gone to the other place. Um, so, uh, they're, they are sending out an email saying that they are open for business in their ER. Don't be afraid to come to the ER. They're screening people at the door, but they know how to handle it. And, and don't stay home when you have a serious situation that you should come to the ER. So know that. And I'm hearing this from hospitals around the state of Georgia. Now, you know, one of the interesting things, I, I there are a number of uh, EMTs, eh, firefighters and others around the state who listen to this program and doctors and emergency room doctors. There are a number of emergency room doctors. I, I feel like I could go to any ER in the state and they would know who I am and like me, thank goodness, because <laughs> they listen to the program. But I, I'm hearing from, from a bunch of them that the number of at-home deaths in the state of Georgia has spiked, and that hasn't gotten a ton of media coverage. And I, I was hesitant at first to really talk about it because it was so anecdotal. It was just from a couple of friends of mine who were EMTs and what they're seeing. But now I, I've heard from every part of the state, from, from the Waycross area to Savannah, to Augusta, to Macon, to Rome, to Valdosta, to Columbus, uh, you name it. I, I'm hearing people, particularly in, in Albany as well, the people are too scared to go to the hospital. So they're staying home. They've, they've got a ruptured appendix or or they're having a heart attack or a stroke or something. They don't want to go to the hospital. Their family doesn't want to take them to the hospital. They assume they'll be okay and they die. But also the number of people with flu-like illnesses who are at home dying, which is really something. Uh And, and those, are, those are the suspected COVID cases. And I, some of those, I think, will wind up being tested post-mortem if they can to find out. Um, but Man, that's something. Go to the hospital now. The, the 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 hospitals are saying, come. They've got the capacity. I mean, they want to get back to elective surgery. Got a hernia? You can go get it taken care of now. The hospitals are saying so. They'll keep you safe and be able to take care of it. Uh, that's another issue to talk to the uh, insurance commissioner of the state of Georgia, John King. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to talk to him. He's an interesting case study in this in that he's gone around the nation now helping build the field hospitals from New Orleans to New Jersey. To back in Atlanta, helping the capacity, the build outs, overseeing management of the supply chain, Uh, should be an interesting conversation. Stick around coming up after this commercial break here across the Eric Erickson show network of stations. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Hope you're having a great day joining me by phone, uh, a man I've been dying to talk to given what he's been doing. The insurance commissioner of the state of Georgia, John King joining me. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you? I am great. Now, Yeah, I I really have been dying to talk to you because I know you've been around the country, not just here in Georgia, uh, doing things, building field hospitals, New Orleans, New Jersey, and, and now back here in Georgia helping again with, with the situation. Can you just kind of give listeners an overview of what you've been up to in the last month or so? It's
8: been uh, quite busy. I was, uh, I think, Shortly after I spoke to you the last time, I, uh, I got uh, orders to uh, report back to duty to uh, Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, which is the Army North Headquarters, which is the Army component that supports all responses in uh, uh, for the Department of Defense for the land component. So we work with FEMA. We work with the states. And uh, my first mission was to go to New Orleans and uh, build, uh, help build out the uh, Montreal uh, Convention Center and work with the uh Great folks in, in New Orleans building a hospital capacity. Soon after that was, to, uh, I turned, we turned that over to the local authorities. We moved to, to uh, New Jersey, and we started building uh, Edison and Atlantic City, and uh, we started working up in uh, Newark. Uh, so I, I've been, I've spent a lot of time going up and down uh, the highways of uh, the great state of New Jersey.
0: well you you say great state of new jersey i hear quotes around the word great
8: (laughs) that is you correct (laughs) yes
0: yes (laughs) now let me ask you though your experience on the ground uh, can you relate uh if you wouldn't mind how you're seeing the virus impacting these states what the you
8: know the the challenge initially is getting good Clear uh, modeling information, but then balancing out with the with the reality of the ground, of where where the hotspots are, where is the bed capacity, where is the ICU capacity in the states, and you know what we did is we started building all these temporary hospitals, and we realized very you know pretty quickly that 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 model was just not making a difference on the ground. So what we started in switched very dynamically, very quickly. We realized not to start, you know, continue building these facilities because and we started putting medical, military medical staff right into hospitals. Uh, we did that at University Hospital in, in, uh, in Newark. And that is turning the tide a lot more effectively. If, if you, if, you know, I know, Eric, you look at, at uh, the, the capacity But if you look at the what actually is being used of all this capacity we built, it's really not being used very a great deal. I mean, well, you know, I I wanted to ask you about that.
0: Yeah, Yeah, go ahead.
8: No, no, you you brought the comfort to New York, and if you look at the patient loads, it's it's pretty small Uh, uh, because you know it takes a lot of infrastructure to build to build a field hospital and to make it into an ICU capable. And so we realized very, very quickly, and we changed our, we changed our strategy very quickly, and then start putting med- military medical staff into hospitals, and that is really turning the tide rather well.
0: Well, so regarding the tide now, of course, the governor wants to slow roll and open starting this Friday. The, the president has said he disagrees with the class of businesses to do it. My understanding is a lot of it has to do with. Uh, sole proprietors, small businesses that, that didn't necessarily get PPP, at least allow them the opportunity if they can maintain some standards. And meanwhile, we, we still, we've got some conflicting data, I guess, depending on which website you look at as to what's actually happening with capacity in the state of, of Georgia. And, uh, what, what's your information or, or your, your standpoint there on capacity in Georgia and our ability to handle any surge?
8: I'll tell you, it's incredible capacity. Georgia has a, 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 you know, and, and especially in the metropolitan areas, we have some fantastic, uh, you know, very professional administrators managing that capacity. Uh, so it, the the challenge is we have, to, you know, I learned this very early, is that we look at the military, we look at bed capacity, and when we see a hospital operating at 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 you know ninety five percent we see that as a danger signal. We think something's really wrong. But when you talk to the hospital administrators, they say, "Yeah, that is good. That means that we're we're operating at optimal capacity." And so we look at this problem from different, you know, from different sides. And so once we realized that was going on, once we uh, you know, hospitals started uh, deferring uh, you know, in non-emergency surgeries, opening up additional uh rooms in hospitals, uh, we we opened a, a dental uh, ward and we turned it into an ICU capacity at at the uh, University Hospital in, in Newark. That gave us additional beds. And you have you know you have oxygen available. You have medical staff. You can you can you, building something from scratch and having to pump oxygen and and all the other gases that you have to bring bring into a, a temporary facility is really hard work and it's very expensive.
0: Oh, I, w- I would have bet so. Now what's your prognosis here in the state? And, and I, 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 obvi- I, I do need to get into and, uh, let you, let you transition how you want into the, the insurance situation in the state with people and testing and all that. I tell you,
8: uh, you know, prognosis is, is good. I mean, the governor, you know, issued his announcement and, and of course, you know, everybody's, is, you know everybody's, is, is, Funny because everywhere I go, somebody shows me a different model. It is to suit their political their political agenda. You know, my model is better than your model. Right. It is it's kind of you know it's kind of sad and in and, and, and ridiculous. Um, so what I really look is what what is the bed occupancy? What is the ICU capacity? What are the ventilators? And and we I think they're doing a really good job of managing that. Um, it, we're realizing now that you know. We got to get you know our testing up, so we can then identify where the hot spots are, and so we can then isolate them and make sure that the spread doesn't continue. Um, so we're you know we're going after that. Uh, so I think the prognosis is good. I mean the, the governor, it just it, you know I've seen uh, several governors that, that 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 went very draconian, uh, and then that's what the people are challenging. You know we we are you know we. We live in a wonderful country, we have a bill of rights. The guarantee, a bill of rights doesn't get suspended because of the pandemic. Right. And, and, uh, and so there's no provision for, and, and, you know, and people's idea that, oh yes, we need to lock everybody down. It probably works really well in North Korea, and maybe parts of China, but it just doesn't work well for, for our society. And so I think that, you know, and the governor was very clear he didn't ask us to suspend our common sense. He says, look, take, take prudent, you know, uh, response is we're going to remove the, uh, the threat of the government, but please still continue using your common sense.
0: Right. Yeah, and and I always worry about some who don't, but it does seem like, in fact, I saw some data that only about 20% of people changed their behavior because of the shelter-in-place order because most people already knew they needed to, to curtail what they were doing outside and and how they were going about so what from your standpoint as insurance commissioner now what's keeping you occupied uh related to the virus as insurance commissioner
8: what really is um, what i'm working on is how do we how do we start opening up slowly prudently how do we make roll back some of the uh some of the provisions that we made for for our industry that we regulate and how do we protect uh, consumers to make sure that they're that they're in a position where they're not going to get burned. And obviously there's a lot of people who have been damaged economically. And, uh, and so we have to start really thinking very clearly and very and communicating very clearly with the industry and how do we ramp ourselves out of this crisis back into normal.
0: And you – I, I I guess that leads to the logical question then of how, how are you advising these businesses to ramp back to normal and, and how long do you think it'll take for everything to get back to normal?
8: uh goodness' it's, it, we're, we're communicating uh, we started communicating this week uh, there's a there's a couple of, you know a couple of industries obviously the risk factors have been greatly reduced because there's not so many people driving. so you've seen a lot of the insurance companies giving out. You know, uh, you know, money back to, to their consumers because obviously the insurance is, is not at a risk. As that risk warms up and increases, then obviously they'll make some adjustments. We just have to make sure that people are not trying to jolt their, their consumer back into normal, uh, you know, normal process. So we're being very, very careful. And it's going to take. I, I think as a minimum, six months, as uh, a minimum. But we're going to have to really do some real detail analysis and a lot of conversations, and, and we'll adjust it. As, as all the models have asked, as we, there's not a whole lot of playbook on, on how, do, how do you restart right. an economy that's been put on stop.
0: Well, and, and I, I'm noticing it, it seems to be that all the non-essential people were causing all the traffic problems in Atlanta because there really haven't been any since the non-essential people stayed home. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Listen, uh, Commissioner King, thank you very much for stopping by. And, and really, I, I let me just thank you on, on behalf of the listeners. I know you, it, it, we no one saw pandemic coming, and you have just been at the forefront traveling between states with your role in the in the military and then here in Georgia. Thank you so much for all the work that you've done.
8: Thank you, Erica. I appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure to to be able to serve this nation that we all love.
0: Thank you. Commissioner John King uh, calling in from Atlanta. He really has been in New Orleans, San Antonio, New Jersey, back to Atlanta, been setting up field hospitals, um, been corralling the resources for the state, uh, helping keep the supply chain open in the state, managing insurance issues in the state. And he's an appointee. He was not elected. Uh, given the Jim Beck situation where he has had to step aside, King was appointed by the governor to fill that role. And uh, 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 we, think about this just, just for, for a moment. Just think about Georgia politics in general for a moment here because because we are a Georgia show. Kelly Leffler appointed to the Senate in January uh, with Johnny Isaacson stepping aside john king appointed into the insurance commissioner's office and they've both been very competent at what they've done now uh i want to get into the leffler collins race because there's a lot of polling out there that's bad for leffler but generally speaking her time in the senate the things she's done behind the scenes particularly given her financial expertise and and her business expertise has actually come in very handy behind the scenes in the senate she was one of the first people the president reached out to and put on this uh committee to look at reopening the country and then John King as well. And and this is all, I think a credit to governor Kemp actually trying to find competent people to fill positions. Uh, There were a lot of people who looked at John King as the police chief in Doraville. What on earth makes him qualified to be insurance commissioner? And, and you know, the insurance commissioner is also the fire chief and a bunch of other stuff. And he turns out to be the man we needed and he's not just the man that we needed. He was the man that Louisiana needed, the man that New Jersey needed, the man that Texas needed. When Texas needs a Georgian, uh, you know there's something going on there. And and so I just I commend him and also the governor for such a good appointment of John King to be the insurance commissioner of the state. And as he said, we're not dealing with a lot of the insurance commission issues right now because, by and large, your insurance can't get canceled right now. He put that in place. They can't cancel your insurance. And there are medical insurance issues, obviously, that he's dealing with, but car insurance and, and liability insurance, things like that, he's not having to deal with so much. It is the supply chain and keeping things open and assigning resources around the state and field hospital capacity. And pay attention to the thing that he noted is that one of the things they had to learn is that 95% hospital capacity from the state standpoint was bad. From the hospital standpoint, it was good. And they had to rearrange their thinking on this, that they had to trust the hospitals on capacity. And it turns out the hospitals have not had the capacity concerns that a lot of people had uh, or expected them to have. They haven't had those. And now, even now, they're winding down. We spent a lot of time talking about the number of people who've gotten COVID-19. In fact, let me pull up the number real quick. I haven't done this today. If you text data to 33777, you can see where I'm getting the numbers from. 21,102 cases now in Georgia. 4,018 people hospitalized. The hospitalization rate's actually gone down now uh, to 19. It had jumped up to 20. It's back down to 19. Uh, 846 people dead. That's a 4% mortality, higher than the national average, but not terrible. The bulk of the deaths come from Darty County. Uh, let me give you, there are only a few counties that have thousands of cases. Fulton County has 2,255 cases and 85 deaths. DeKalb County, 1,609 cases, 31 deaths. Doherty County, 1,479 cases, 106 deaths. Gwinnett County, 1,273 cases and 46 deaths. And Cobb County, 1,272 cases and 63 deaths. Every other county is in either triple, double or single digits. There's still a number of counties out there uh, that only have uh, single-digit cases. The hospital capacity issue was the thing that scared everyone. When you've got a 20% hospitalization rate, but we haven't actually been yet impacted at that level, the capacity level. The hospitals say it's manageable. We have field hospitals set up as needed if there is a surge. And we're not seeing the surge that people were expecting. And there is concern with the governor reopening the state. Will we see that? They seem to think that it's manageable. And now the insurance commissioner himself says he thinks it's manageable. We've got the capacity. So a slow rolling reopen seems like it might work. The phone number here. I'm curious on your thoughts on all this 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to see the state data here in Georgia, text the word data to 33777. Text the word data to 33777, and you'll be able to see the real time data. I, I, I want to play this clip. Out of YouTube, uh, I, I am increasingly suspicious of Google. Don't think that they respect people's privacy very much, uh, and I, I'm not as I'm not as suspicious of Facebook. Now, full disclosure: I, in my Resurgent Conference, both Google and Facebook have sponsored my Resurgent Conference in the past, and I, while I've got a lot of criticisms these days of, of some of the things Facebook is doing and bringing in humans to regulate information and control it. Uh, Google, well, let me just play you this clip from the YouTube CEO.
9: Um, We've actually seen a 75% increase in the... um news coming from authoritative sources since the beginning of 2020 um, so we've seen a, a lot of demand there um, but then we also what does talk- that
3: mean that means an increase in, in video views for those
9: yeah and so we talk about that as raising authoritative information um, but then we also talk about um removing information that is problematic you know of course anything that is medically unsubstantiated so people saying like take vitamin c um you know Um, Take turmeric, like those are all, will cure you. Um, Those are the examples of things that would be a violation of our policy. Um, Anything that would go against World Health Organization recommendations would be a violation of our policy. And so remove is another really important part of our policy.
0: So they're removing people who might disagree with information from the World Health Organization. You know, would they remove information When the World Health Organization was backing up China that there wasn't human spread and people on YouTube might have said there was, would they have removed that? When the World Health Organization said there wasn't a pandemic and it was spreading around the world, would would people, would they have removed that? This, This is the problem. The World Health Organization is increasingly a propaganda arm of the Chinese communists. And there are people who will defend the World Health Organization, um, but I don't think you can defend the management in the top tier of the World Health Organization. And that's problematic. And YouTube is censoring on their behalf, essentially. That is problematic. Uh, it's just all of this is fraught with all sorts of problems, and I think they need to rethink that. And I'm just I continue to be suspicious of Google trying to control access to knowledge. Uh, to the phones we go, Cheryl. You are going to be next here on the Eric Erickson Show. Welcome.
10: Thank you. I hope you're doing well today.
0: I am. Hope you are too.
10: Yes. Thank you very much. Um, a thought struck me, and I wondered about how who have we thought about who these business owners of barbershops and nail salons are in the city of Atlanta. Um, I would imagine that a large proportion of them are African American or minority owned and I saw a story last week um, on a local station about the hardships that those business owners were undergoing um, during this shutdown. So is Keisha Lance Bottoms and Stacey Abrams and the bishop of the AME churches who are saying that Brian Kemp is um, wanting to cause more harm to the African-American and minority communities by opening up the government, are they saying then that these business owners who have completed occupational licensing, business licensing, payroll, inventory, orders, advertising, marketing, lease and rental agreements and are not – competent and intelligent enough to know when it's right to open
0: their business. Yeah, I, 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 I got to, you know, I got to let you go there on that point. I want to answer this. When we come back, we got a hard break coming up, but we need to talk about that on the other side. Thank you for raising the issue, Cheryl. It's great to have a sponsor of the program that I don't even have to read a script for anything. You know, they send scripts, but I don't have to have one with quip because quip is my toothbrush. It's my wife's toothbrush It's my daughter's toothbrush. It's now my son's toothbrush. We are a 100% quip household in our family. And I will tell you Why? Because with some of those vibrating, fancy doodad toothbrushes. They're super expensive. You have to take a charger with you. They're hard to keep up with. Uh, The the brush head size is so big and poorly designed, it doesn't fit in the back of your mouth so you can't get the back of your mouth and the teeth clean. With the Quip, it is well designed. You can tell that it's designed by dentists and designers working collaboratively. It's a great toothbrush. If you don't know what the Quip is, it's a battery-powered toothbrush where every three months they send you a new brush head for just 5 bucks. So brush head stays, stays clean and in shape. You get a new battery. It's a AAA battery that it works with. And here's the cool thing. It vibrates great to clean your teeth. And every 30 seconds, it pulses so you know to change position in your mouth. And after two minutes, after you've got the dentist-recommended two-minute brushing, it turns itself off. So you don't have to worry about it. There's no fancy charger to carry around or keep up with. You just your toothbrush. And it comes with a great uh, little travel pouch you can put it in. Uh, it's it's just it's a great design toothbrush. I've used mine for so long. Every time I go to my orthodontist now, I, I have braces. And every time I go to my dentist, he wants to know if I'm using teeth whitener and I'm not I'm just using my quip twice a day for two minutes just like Dennis recommend it is fantastic it is such a great design listen this sponsor, Live Read, is taking longer than it should because I actually do really like my Quip toothbrush. It is the best toothbrush I've ever had, and I hope you'll agree. You can go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now and get your first brush head refill pack for free with your Quip. That's right. Your first brush head refill pack is free. If you go to getquip.com slash Erickson, it's G E T. G-E-T, QUIP.com slash Erickson. It is the Good Habits Company and it is a great toothbrush. Hello, Georgia. It is Eric Erickson here. I hope you're having a good day. The phone number, if you want to call and chat because you're stir crazy and tired of talking to yourself in your home, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. So in the last, at the very end of the last segment, Cheryl called and and she had a question about and and was pondering the effect of the governor's order on small businesses, particularly African-American minority-owned businesses in Atlanta, Uh, Stacey Abrams, Very critical of him. Uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta, uh, has been very civil with the governor until this. She is not a fan of this and has been pretty openly critical of him doing this. Doesn't think it's a good idea. A number of others out there as well. And it seems like a lot of minority-owned businesses, nail salons, barbershops, and the like could be benefited by this. And in fact, I think they could. If they can open now, the the mayor of Atlanta is encouraging people to still shelter place. You should know, by the way, last night, uh, she got a text message through uh, one of the governmental systems in Atlanta. Someone calling her the N-word. It was an anonymous message. Uh, They tagged the Reopen Georgia campaign. Uh, the reopened Georgia campaign says it, it was not them; they had nothing to do with it. They screen everything that comes through their system that then processes to get to the mayor's office, so it, it couldn't have been them. But it was someone uh, trying to claim it was them, uh, sending, calling the mayor the N word that she needed to shut up and open up. Uh, she doesn't deserve that. Listen, I, I'm I've been critical of the mayor of Atlanta, but she's actually way better than Kasim Reed. She's been way more personable, way more open, way more transparent, way more willing to work uh, beyond, you know, so Kasim Reed and Nathan Deal had a fantastic working relationship in Atlanta, and that was kind of it. And, and Keisha Lance Bottoms has done a very good job of of trying to build relationships Uh, with way more Republicans, not just knowing I've got the governor's ears, so I don't need anybody else. She's been working on kind of building a bipartisan coalition for Atlanta. And I think she's done a good job of it. Uh, She's not immune from criticism. I don't agree with everything she's done, but by and large, I think she's been a good mayor. Uh, Given, given the alternatives, she's been a very good mayor in Atlanta. And for her to, to get something like that, I think, is is deeply unfortunate. And I think that we need to recognize there is real disagreement with the governor on whether or not to open the state. I, I'm actually am very curious whether or not you guys think he's done the right thing. Eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five is the number. Now this has allowed particularly the president yesterday throwing the governor. And listen, you can disagree with me on this. Let me play the audio again so you hear it.
1: I told the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, that I disagree strongly with his decision to open certain facilities which are in violation of the phase one guidelines for the incredible people of Georgia. They're incredible people. I love those people. They are. They're great. They've been strong, resolute, but at the same time, he must do what he thinks is right. I want him to do what he thinks is right, Uh, but I disagree with him on what he's doing, but I want to let the governors do. Now, if I see something totally egregious, totally out of line, I'll do, but I think spas and beauty salons and tattoo parlors and barbershops in uh, phase one We're going to have phase two very soon. It's just too soon. I think it's too soon.
0: I think that is the president throwing the governor under the bus have said as much and gotten criticism from some of the president's fans. And the reason I say it is because they had a private conversation where both people in the White House and the governor's office say the president was advised of what the governor was doing and was okay with what the governor was doing and his plan as he explained it. And then a day after relentless media criticism, the president publicly, reading from a statement of us, he didn't just say it off the top of his head, he actually, they took time to write it down. After having signed off in private with the governor in public says um, he strongly disagrees that's throwing the governor under the bus after a day of relentlessly negative media criticism it also though ha- has an unfortunate side effect of emboldening Stacey Abrams and allowing Abrams to go be the 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 pretend governor of Georgia again listen to this from Gail King on CBS News Joe Biden's
10: looking for a VP I know you've heard there's an article out this morning that says Stacey Abrams would be the right pick for him I'm assuming you agree with that why do you- you think that you'd be a good choice for Joe
9: Biden? Part of my response to not becoming governor in 2018 was not to hide my head, but to really work on addressing the core issues facing our country. I've set up a national 18-state infrastructure to protect our elections. I've set up a seven-state organization that is working on the census. And through the Southern Economic Advancement Project, I've been able to work with Propel Fresh EBT and get connected with Give Directly to address the economic needs of our most economically vulnerable and least resilient communities. I believe I have the capacity, the competence, the skills, and the willingness to serve. But I will say this: my first responsibility is to make sure that the work that I'm doing across this country, working with federal, state, and local leaders, helps serve the people who need it most. That's why I'm so excited about what we're doing with Project 100. US, which is getting resources directly to those who need it at a time where our government is moving too slowly to serve the most vulnerable. SNAP recipients are the least likely Jesse, to that's be a, banked. That's a good... They do not.
10: Well, I just want to say this. That's a great nuts and bolts answer because everybody knows you're extremely qualified. I'm looking for something about Stacey Abrams, the person, why she's a good Why she's a good choice. What? what, what, is it, what?
0: Okay. Can I be real honest with you? Because unlike a lot of you, unlike pretty much all of you, I've actually sat down and spent an hour with Stacey Abrams, interviewed her, and I, I found her to be charming per, at a personal level. Uh, She is very self. I know. I know. It it always ruins my street cred to say I like somebody on the left. Uh, But uh, I'm just trying to be honest with you. I I find it very possible to be friends with people on the other side. And and I I found my time with her. She was a very good interview. I like politicians who are self-deprecating. You know, oftentimes you you get a politician who has a stick up their butt. that They can't even make a joke about themselves. and, And she's totally willing to do it. And I like that about someone. She had very good answers. You know, I interviewed her and I interviewed Casey Cagle, and they actually agreed on a lot of stuff when it came to tax policy, and I thought she gave much better answers than the sitting lieutenant governor at the time. I I thought she did. Doesn't mean I agree with her on it. In fact, I don't. Wouldn't vote for her. But this, this idea that she somehow qualified, what makes a loser qualified to be vice president of the United States, to put it bluntly? She's only ever been elected to a state house seat in Georgia. How in the 21st century do you go from winning a state house seat to the vice presidency? And I can hear the left saying that Trump wasn't qualified. And that's your point. You've been saying he wasn't qualified. And so suddenly you want an unqualified person yourself to not even be president, but to be vice president. That just seems absurd to me of all of the people out there. By the way, I don't think the open campaigning. By Abrams, it actually helps her. I think, in fact, I've heard that it's not helping her. She seems to be openly campaigning and daring the vice president uh, to pick someone else. Uh, Challenge accepted, I would think, for the vice president. I, 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 um, y'all, I'm baffling to me that she's openly campaigning like that. I don't think it helps her. But this idea that she's somehow competent and qualified, she's not. And I don't mean that disparagingly. She was she was a state house member in Georgia who lost. And by the way, I've got to tell you, I think a lot of the negative coverage in the press about Brian Kemp has everything to do with the fact that he beat the media darling. Has nothing to I mean, they're not even getting the facts straight about what he's doing and they're beating him up for doing it. I was about to go to a phone call, but the person hung up. But the person was going to agree with me. Uh, that the governor is is doing what he needs to do, and he's doing it slowly, and the media's been badly misreporting it. And and, and I gotta, there's there's some other stuff here. I need to play for you two clips. Actually, let me let me play three clips. This is from Tom Frieden, who is uh, one of the president's advisors.
5: Knowing what will happen in the future really we will wait for the future. But we do know that there are things that
2: we can do now to make our society safer and to be able to open as soon and safely as possible. We're all impatient to go out again. We want to restart our economy and society. But if we do that too soon, it will backfire
5: and we'll see a big explosion of cases that will send us back into our homes. I know there are many parts of the country that haven't seen severe disease yet, but for those of us here in New York City, this is catastrophic. This is hundreds of deaths every day. This is the sound of ambulance sirens day and night, and that's the potential
0: if we don't get it right. Uh, By the way, I I said he's uh, one of the President's advisors, I'm sorry, one of Governor Cuomo's advisors. Uh, He's worried about the rebound if we don't get it right. Here's Dr. Fauci from the White House yesterday.
3: So you remember. A couple of weeks ago when we talk about the fact that we were going to have a really bad week because the deaths particularly driven by the situation in new york were going to get worse and worse but yet as that was happening we were starting to see some turnaround, some flattening and some coming down as you've heard from dr and will likely hear more that that is continuing so what has happened is that the mitigation that we put in with the first 15 days and then the 30 day mitigation program of physical distancing worked. So it got us to where we are today. It is a successful formula. It is the basis for our being able to say that we can now think seriously about reopening America. And for that reason, we put together a carefully thought-out and I believe well-delineated and described program for opening up America again. And you know what it is. It's the guidelines that we announced a few days ago.
0: The guidelines, this is subtly yet again explaining why they think Kemp is moving too fast on this, but that they do think that the mitigation program has worked. But then there's this, and i you need to meditate on this so that we can discuss what Kemp is doing.
3: We will have coronavirus in the fall. I am convinced of that because of the degree of of transmissibility that has the global nature. What happens with that will depend on how we're able to contain it when it occurs. And what we're saying is that in the fall, we will be much, much better prepared to do the kind of containment compared to what happened to us this winter now the complicating issue is that unlike the syndromic and influenza-like observances that we have that you could pick it up by clinically what's happening it's going to get complicated by a influenza season and i believe that's what dr redfield was saying that it is going to be complicated so whether or not it's going to be big or small is going to depend on our response. And, and that's what I think people sometimes have misunderstanding. Nobody can predict what is going to happen with an outbreak, but you can predict how you're going to respond to it. And that's really very important. So we're
0: going to have it again. And we'll play Dr. Redfield's comments when we come back. But we're, 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 we're in a situation now where we already know that the virus is going to rebound. So should we not try to find a path forward, which is what the governor of Georgia is trying to do, trying to find a path forward, knowing that the virus is not going to go away, knowing we're not gonna the, the virus, we're not going to kill it out. By the way, I thought it was interesting the other day, Fauci noted that uh, we were in the process of trying to develop treatments for SARS and it just disappeared. And we, we don't know, uh, maybe this virus, there's still so much we don't know about this virus. SARS was around for about a year and a half and then poof, gone. We don't We don't know what happened. There's so much about this we still don't know, but they seem to be certain it's going to come back on us. So maybe we need to do what Brian Kemp is doing. It is Eric Erickson here the phone number 87797 Eric 8779737425 this hour of the program sponsored by Mrs Griffin's barbecue sauce which is really t- I can't believe so I put a picture up on Instagram yesterday and a friend's coming out of the woodwork that uh, this is the barbecue sauce they've they had all their life which is fantastic because it is the oldest barbecue sauce made in America, uh, commercially made in America. It's a great old school Southern recipe. If you haven't had Mrs. Griffin's, I know you can back. In fact, I was at the grocery store doing grocery shopping before the show this morning for my wife and they had it. Now, I don't have Heinz ketchup anywhere, but they got Mrs. Griffin's uh, because the Mrs. Griffin's has taken over stock in the shelves in Georgia because they're a local business and they can do that. You should support a local business like Mrs. Griffin's and thank you to their, to them for their sponsorship. Now, Gail, I want to go to you next. Uh, if I get the phone screen, there we go. Gail, how are you?
11: I'm doing great. Good morning, Eric. Good morning.
0: So, what do you think about the governor was, and the president?
11: I was calling. My husband's an avid listener of yours, so I got to give him credit for. Um, do I need to apologize
0: you? to you for that?
11: <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I wanted to say that I totally agree with what your stance is on President Trump's uh, comment um, openly on national TV about Brian Kemp last night. I I was very dismayed when he said that because I feel that Governor Kemp is giving Georgians the common sense credit to open their businesses as they feel fit. He did not force them and say that they had to do it. He's giving them the ability to do it. And I feel like there are so many counties in Georgia, um, Cherokee County is one of them, where there are not that many cases. Um, We actually looked up the statistics last night, and five out of our eight deaths are in long-term care facilities in (laughs) Georgia. And um, I also agree with um, you on the political ramifications of this, because all the press after Governor Kemp made his announcement focused on our state and with a Republican governor, whereas the state of Colorado was announcing similar things and they have a Democratic governor right. and they did not give him the same flack that <laughs> poor Governor Kemp has been getting. Yes. And uh, uh, and, it all, and I also agree with you that it bolsters Stacey Abrams, you know, rhetoric. Oh.
0: Yes, um, it does. And, and you know, so
11: Gail, I just wanted to call and let you know that I agree with that.
0: Well, listen, I, I appreciate it. And, you know, you mentioned the Jared Polo situation. That's the governor of Colorado. I find it very interesting. And if I were the president, what I would have done is I would have said that um, that you you've got a situation where the governor of Colorado is doing what the governor of Georgia is doing. Let them experiment. Because Georgia is reopening, too. And they're opening a different class of business. They're favoring bigger businesses. George is favoring sole proprietorships and, and service industry small businesses. It's just – it's it's fascinating to me that the president said what he said about Brian Kemp, particularly in a press conference, with written notes so that he read from the notes the statement. And he didn't say anything about Colorado where he could have used Colorado as, as a way to deflect from criticizing uh, Governor Kemp. And it was a criticism, I don't care that you want to hump the president's leg. Um, it it was a criticism of Brian Kemp when you tell him something in private and then you completely do the opposite in public, you're throwing him under the bus. And and that's, that's a problem. Uh, Edna going to you next. Welcome from Athens. How are you?
12: I'm fine. How are you, Eric? And thank you so much for all you do to keep us aware of what's going on in Georgia and the nation. Thank you. Uh, First of all, I just was very disturbed with the president relaying a private conversation, and I'm going to let that stay there. But what I want to bring up, my main question is, when Governor Kemp made the speech about opening up Friday and the businesses that could open, he stipulated that they would be following strict mandates. And if they could not follow those mandates, then they wouldn't give them notice, or either they would later be shut down. However, that being said, which is great, the thing that got me and what I'm for, he said, uh, excuse me, let me look at my notes. These were options. He did not command all of these businesses to open. He did not say this is an ordinance. You have to open. He says you can if you follow the guidelines. And I think he has received rebuke wrongly.
4: I, I, because
12: I, I, he has yeah. he has something in place that if they do not adhere to the guidelines, their businesses will be stopped. They will have to cease.
9: Well and,
0: and you that know is Edna, not he, being talked about He told me in fact, thank you very much for the phone call. he told me uh, that he's been very lax on the shelter in place enforcement but that with these businesses opening on Friday he's he's going to strictly enforce them. he's going to shut you down. If you deviate, uh, and that hadn't gotten a lot of coverage either, the, they're going to enforce this. You're going to have to enforce the standards. We'll take your phone calls on this. What do you think about the governor and and the contretemps with the president? Four you oh no, know, wrong number. Eight seven seven nine seven. Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. More of your calls when we come back. The phone number here, if you would like to be on this year program is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. And I want to go back to the phones to Randy. Welcome to the program, Randy. How are you?
13: Hey, Eric. I appreciate you taking my call. Um, I I know uh, Governor Camp grew up with him, went to school with him, but that's, I'm not throwing names out by no means, but I heard him last night. He said two words, civil liberties. And then, you know, there's that fine line. We talked about the constitution. I think he's way ahead of the game and going to be able to stop. Whatever may come his way during the next election, Abrams specifically. And, um, in my opinion, he's got, he's doing the right thing, and whatever they talked about, they being uh, President Trump and himself, um, they may have a plan. You never know, and, yeah, they, and that might be part of the part of the plan.
0: Well, you know, it's funny you say this because I, I've been thinking: if look, if there's a huge resurgence of the virus and we can't contain the spread. Uh, Then obviously, I think the the governor probably he's going to he's going to have all sorts of problems, political problems. But if if the virus is going to be around a while and we're able to chart a course where hospitals can handle the surge, I I think he comes out of this looking like he's ahead of his time and, and looking good. And there'll be a lot of people who will never admit they
13: were wrong and he was right, but I think they'll know it yes and 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 it's going to show there's gonna be no doubt, and yes, he will have to uh set responsibilities for whatever comes uh in the worst case scenario, but at least give him the credit if it doesn't get worse
0: yeah That's
13: I- what happens.
0: Uh, I, that's what I think everybody hopes happens for sure. Randy, thanks very much for the phone call. The phone number here, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. And, and again, I, I I keep coming back to this point and it, it really isn't to make a hyper-partisan point on this. There's a method to my madness, I, I guess, by pointing this out because I, I think it needs to be noted that A lot of the national media really doesn't like Brian Kemp because he beat Stacey Abrams. They were already out to get him. Very much like with the president. The the president can't win with the press. Because the president, they were already out to get the president. They're already out to get Brian Kemp because he beat their precious Stacey Abrams. And the reason the media loves Stacey Abrams so much, if we're honest about it, and some of them behind the scenes will even admit it, they poured their heart and soul into getting precious little Beto elected in Texas against Ted Cruz, and he lost. Andrew Gilliman for a while wow, how did that guy turn out by the way and the 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 gay group doing meth in in the hotel room um do, do we not just doing meth let's just say that well this is a family friendly show we'll let's just say there were there were a couple dudes in there with him he 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 lost by like half a percent that could be your governor Florida Florida man really could have become the governor <laughs> oh wow. Wow. I think he's off to rehab, by the way. Um, but so Andrew Gillum lost by like half a percentage point. Stacey Abrams, uh, if you listen to the way the media has covered Abrams along the way, you would think that she came within a half a point of beating Governor. Trump. No, she could have gotten into a runoff against him, not, not actually one. I actually had this conversation with a reporter a while back who, who really, this is a prominent reporter for a national publication who completely missed the fact that it was a runoff she didn't get into, not that she didn't win the election. And they really wanted it to happen. They really wanted to make it happen. They they couldn't make it happen. And so they resent like hell the governor. And there is a media double standard. I, I want to play for you a clip of, of Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York. Listen to this clip. Listen to this clip and ask yourself if Brian Kemp or Donald Trump had said this, what would the media reaction be?
3: They're saying that... Is there a
8: fundamental right to work if the government can't get me the money when I need
4: it? Is there a fundamental right to go to, to work? work? Go take a job as an essential worker. Do it tomorrow. Right? You're working. I am. You're an essential worker. So go take a job as an essential but, worker. But,
10: but the people aren't hiring because of the No, pandemic. there are people
4: hiring. You can get a job as an essential worker. So now you can go to work and you can be an essential worker and you're not going to kill
0: anyone. Can you imagine if Donald Trump or Brian Kemp had said that what the media reaction would be? Can you imagine? The, I mean, they're right there as a double center because you and I both know darn well if the president... Or Brian Kemp had said you want to go get a job, go be an essential worker, the media would be savvy. Are you suggesting the average American has to go put their life on the line to work in your economy? You know the media would do that. They would eat them alive. But this is the same thing where where the president, where the president said that hydroxychloroquine looked like it could be a, a something to help. And the media savaged him. Andrew Cuomo said the same thing, and the media gave him a pass. By the way, the Veterans Affairs Secretary um, has this to say about, uh, Secretary Wilkie has this to say about hydroxychloroquine and that study. You know, the media is championing that study. That It looks like it killed people.
6: I do want to ask you quickly before we go. Washington Post has a new report, a study about the anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquine. President Trump has touted this, uh, but it is linked to higher rates of death in the va uh, coronavirus related can you elaborate what's going on with this drug
5: sure that that's an observational study it's not a clinical study it was done on a small number of veterans um, sadly those of whom were in the last stages of life um, and the drug was given to them and i have to i have to also say that the drug we know the drug has been working on middle age and younger veterans And the governor of New York was just in the Oval Office yesterday asking for more of the drug to be delivered to the city of New York, uh, working in, in stopping the progression of the disease. So the president's comments have been aspirational. Um, this study that the Washington Post reported on, and one that we put on our website because we, we're not hiding anything, is just another tool in the toolbox that doctors can use when they talk with patients and families about the, uh, the best possible uh, approach for care for veterans uh, who have the virus.
0: So what the study showed, my friend Steve Krakauer yesterday noted this. Steve actually did it. In fact, let me see if I can get on Twitter and find this real quick. Steve Krakauer, yes, he noted this on Twitter yesterday. the The, the story is is just it, it, the whole blame the president thing. Let, let me read you his series of, of of tweets. In fact, I'm I'm going to. Um, I'm going to retweet this. If you want to go follow me on Twitter, you should stay away from Twitter, but if you have it, it's EW Erickson and I am, I just retweeted Steve Krakauer. So you can see this since we've gone 24 hours and I haven't seen an accurate report on the hydroxychloroquine VA study. Guess I'll do it. 27 patients out of 98 died with hydroxychloroquine, 25 patients out of 113 with hydroxychloroquine and, and erythromycin, 18 out of the 158 without any. Feel comfortable drawing any massive conclusions from this? Also, most reports say there was no difference between groups in ventilator need. However, it found 7% who had both hydroxychloroquine and erythromycin needed ventilation, while more than 14% who had none of the medicine needed it. Double the amount. More importantly, though, the VA hydroxychloroquine study, it was not peer-reviewed, it was not randomized, it was not even a study. It was a retrospective analysis of data. This is a data point, nothing to draw conclusion from either way. It wasn't randomized. It wasn't a study. It was going back and looking. We're going to try it and see. And essentially, there was no difference. It was a small pool of people and there wasn't any difference. The only real statistical difference was that uh, half the people who had the medicine wound up needing a ventilator. But there are plenty of other studies out there that people who get the drug combo who aren't critically ill with COVID-19 actually do recover faster. There are what the studies do. If there's a study of studies what it seems to suggest is that when you're at the point of needing a ventilator these drugs do nothing for you and may harm you but if you get it in early a symptom start it looks like it may work combine it with zinc it looks like it works for sure i shouldn't say for sure but that that's there are a lot there are studies of studies there are small studies and the problem is there have not been any big studies now there's one coming from michigan that is actually a randomized large trial And we should wait and see, but this is no more anecdotal than anything, but the media is just desperate to get the president. They're desperate to play gotcha with the president on this stuff. They're desperate to blow up the president on this stuff. And it is really, really hard to get any real accurate assessment of what's actually going on out there with this stuff because the media would much rather play gotcha with the president than actually report the news. You know what else the media isn't really reporting on? This was one of those things. I I started the program, if you're just tuning in this hour, I started in the first hour saying it, 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 there is more and more evidence that the U.S. government bungled the stimulus program. You know, I so I, I this hour is, is sponsored by Mrs. Griffin's barbecue sauce, and I hope you'll go buy them. They're the oldest barbecue sauce still commercially made in America. But I, I need to talk real quick about another sponsor of the program, First Liberty of Georgia. There, I've been referring people for months, for over a month now, for their PPP um, stuff. You can go to firstlibertyga.com. You can get online. You can fill out stuff. And they get scores of angry emails from people who got rejected, and they're blaming First Liberty. It's not them. The the money ran out, and Congress is having to do it. And and the Republicans wanted six hundred billion more dollars. I think they compromised on two hundred fifty, which means it's going to run out within forty eight hours. We're going to have to do it all over again within forty eight hours. And every time they do it, the lobbyists get another grab bag. Denmark, meanwhile, stepped up. The government said, look, we're just going to cover the payroll costs for everybody. We're going to look retrospectively three months back to see what people were making. So you can't just all of a sudden give people pay raises. And that's what we're going to pay people. And don't worry about it. And they're not having any of the problems. They're not having to have Congress. They're they're not having to have their parliament come back and do stuff over and over and over like we're doing. It is bungled. And one of the things I and a bunch of other people predicted was the way Congress was structuring unemployment benefits is it was going to blow up in everybody's face. Because a lot of people would wind up getting more unemployment benefits than their paycheck. Listen to this restaurant owner on CNBC. Well, how many employees do you have and what happened to them?
2: Uh, the employees, uh, you know, again, uh, we furloughed them. And, then, and now we, we have them working back. And some of them are still, some of them took unemployment because as you very well know, that you know the unemployment. If you, I got dishwashers, I got s- servers that are making three hundred dollars. They're getting six hundred dollars from from the federal government, and uh, you know they're go
7: they're going for for the unemployment. Well, so what does that what does that mean for you? So you've got employees who are making more not working than they would be making working for you. What does that mean for your business going forward?
2: Uh, well, when when we're ready to get open up, when they you know say hey it's time to open up. We'll be able to call them and and they'll be off that unemployment and they'll be working back for us. And some
0: of them won't be happy with it. Listen to this other one from CNBC. Jamie Black-Lewis felt like she won the lottery after getting two forgivable loans through the Paycheck Protection Program. Black-Lewis saw the $177,000 and the $43,800 loans one for each of the spas she's owns in Washington state as a lifeline. She could use for payroll and other business expenses. She'd halted pay for the 35 employees, including herself at her med spa and salon in Woodenville and Ami day spa in Bothell uh, in mid March. That's in Washington state. When black Lewis convened a virtual employee meeting to explain her good fortune, she expected jubilation and relief that paychecks would resume in full, even though the staff, primarily hourly employees, couldn't work. She got a different reaction. It was a firestorm of hatred about the situation. The animosity is an unintended, unintended consequence of the $2.2 trillion coronavirus relief package enacted last month. The law, the CARES Act, offered $349 billion in loans for small businesses struggling. Banks backstopped by the federal government will fully forgive the loans under certain conditions. Among them, the bulk of funds must go to payroll salaries, must retain intact, and employee headcount must not decrease. Businesses have until June 30th to rehire, laid off, or furloughed workers. Black Lewis was trying to meet these rules, and yet the employees are angry because they're collecting more through unemployment benefits than they did their normal paychecks. Because the federal government is giving people $600 a week in unemployment on top of state unemployment. So you're getting state unemployment and you're getting $600 extra a week, which is more than many of these people are making in a week by working in the spa. And they're livid with the employer for doing the right thing. This, all of this, every bit of this was foreseeable. CNBC says it was unforeseeable. It was foreseeable. Do you know how I know it was foreseeable? Because I was talking about it on the radio. It was obvious that was going to happen. It was a foreseeable consequence when the government is paying weekly more to workers than what they were doing when they were working. The Democrats pushed this because they want a universal basic income. They, They want the argument for it. And all this is doing is proving that it's a bad idea because you'll have people who'd rather sit on the sidelines and get the universal basic income than actually contribute to society, have a bunch of deadbeats in society. And I don't mean to be mean that way. I don't mean, I, maybe I shouldn't use that word, but you'll have a bunch of people who won't go back to work if you give them a universal basic income. And we can see that through this. This lady was able to get money to pay their salaries and they're livid because they get more pay by not working than by being on a payroll. What do you think is going to happen if you get a universal basic income? You're going to see more people on the sidelines if they think that they, they, they don't have to work and they get money there. It was a foreseeable. It really was foreseeable, and it was it was something we talked about on this program. Just it's it's so many people in government say things are not foreseeable when everyone else can see it coming. Yes, you can. And as a matter of fact, I am going back to the phones to Clarksville, Habersham County. D, welcome to the program. You there?
2: Hey, Eric. Hi there. Hey, I'm here. What's going on? Hey, th- th- good point about uh, the clips from CNBC you just played. All the more reason for the governor, who I fully support in opening things back up, all the more reason to open things back up there are a lot more situations and characteristics to this whole thing than simply, uh, you know, the politics of whether or not you open back up. Um, and I, I think right. that it's a great thing, and, you know. I, and uh, stuff you were talking about earlier about Trump versus Kemp and, and people getting all bent out of shape about that, so what? They minorly disagree on one thing. Uh, that, that it's insane to me. how these people are trying to turn Trump and Kemp against each other. I, I agree with Kemp. I'm glad he's our governor and, uh, right on. i would say, let's open yeah, up the, yeah,
0: you know, and, and that's care. the thing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it very much. It, it is. It, it's just fascinating, fascinating to me that. The governor is leading the field on this, and there are other governors opening up. This governor is is, is focused primarily, and you know, I, I I he's focused. Let me finish this thought. He's focused on small sole proprietor businesses like barbers, tattoo parlors, massage uh, therapists. The bowling alleys are in there because they're included in that class of business of small service industry based business, but. Everyone agrees, including those in the governor's office, they're not actually going to be able to meet the standards that the governor's setting out in his executive order for what they have to do to reopen. The cleanliness standards and things like that. And a lot of of these other places won't be able to as well. But the governor's trying to put their destinies in their hands instead of his and say, if you want to take a shot at it, take a shot at it. And here's the thing that most people don't seem to understand. You know, you go to Atlanta and you go to a mall and almost every mall has a fancy salon. In, what is it, Macy's, I think it is. In, um yeah, in Linux Mall in Atlanta, there's a hair salon there. And that place is not going to be able to comply to reopen. The mall's not even open there. But go up to Clarksville. Go to Jasper. Go to Rome. Go to downtown Athens. Or Macon. There's a hair salon. There's a barber who has a pre existing long term relationship with clientele and could give those people haircuts. They know each other. They, they've known each other enough to be able to tell when someone's walking in the door saying, You don't look like you feel well today. Maybe we need to take your temperature, make sure you're okay. They're in charge of, of, of I mean, soup to nuts, they're in charge of all of it. They, 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 wipe down their businesses, they do their own cleaning, they mop their floors at night, they scrub their counters, they they will wipe the door handles, they'll clean their own toilets. The, the You know the businesses I'm talking about. Give them a chance. Give them a chance. Let them try. If they can do all the stuff the governor says they're going to have to do, let them try. Just like, uh, and, and right now, if they try, they get fined. Let them try without pain of jail. Some of them are cutting hair under the table anyway right now. Like I want to go up to, to Clayton to to Wander, North Georgia. I, I bought some stuff from them just to support them. I want to be able to go up there. I want to make sure they're, they're open when I get there. Let, let, I, they do everything themselves. Let a place like that open up. Let the barber open up. Let the nail salon open up. If they can do it, if they can meet the standards, let them try at least. I think I'm kind of there. Let these guys at least give the college try, see if they can do it.